morning. That song is peppy. That's fun. Hey, uh, this weekend is a uh, um, special weekend here at Trinity. I found this out. It's it's not special because of Valentine's Day or uh, not special because it's winter camp weekend for our high schoolers. It's not even special because Jairus had a baby this past week. It's not even special because my birthday is coming up this week. It has nothing to do with any of those things, but uh, we were cleaning out some things around the office this week, and we found uh, some old paperwork, and it turns out that this weekend marks the, uh, the 40th anniversary of the dedication of this building, that 40 years ago tomorrow, February 19th, they had a special service dedicating this church property. How about that? That's pretty cool. Uh, so they broke ground on the building in 1974. Uh, some guys like uh, Ted Mitchell, Dutch Landoni were part of that ceremony. Uh, at the time they broke ground, though, they couldn't accurately set a completion date because there was a real scarcity of building materials, apparently, uh, glass, plumbing supplies, some things like that. And so it wasn't until four years later, 1978, that they were able to dedicate the facility. It happened uh, uh, February 19th, tomorrow. So how about that? That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you know, a good reminder to me of uh, all the ministry that's happened in this, in this very room uh, over the years. Think about that. Just not to mention all the, the history before the, this building, but, uh, uh, you know, the facilities changed, some of the people have changed, but God has not changed. Uh, praise God for that. And he still holds out uh, a vision and a hope for this valley. And I'm excited to think about 40 years from today, what uh, kind of presence Trinity will have in this valley as, he, uh, as God continues to work in our faith family. So uh, it's something just fun from the, uh, the, the bottom of the file cabinet right there. That was pretty interesting to find. And uh, hey, we're in the middle of a series called Choose Joy, Finding Joy in Really Some Unexpected Places and uh, Putting Aside just happiness that's dependent upon our circumstances and, uh, and looking past circumstances really to find deep and real and abiding joy. And, uh, and yet choosing joy, that does not come easy. It's not natural. It's, it's hard work. It is a choice. And it's so often it's a choice we have to make over and over and over again, waking up each day and just surrendering ourselves to the task each and every day, aligning ourselves with God as a choice each and every day because the, the world weighs us down, right? Uh, we have to choose to lay the weight down and to choose joy. And uh, this past summer, I took a trip with my daughter to New York City. And uh, we only had a couple of days in New York City, but man, we made the most of them. Uh, saw all kinds of things, everything that you got to see when you go to New York. I think we hit it all. And uh, one of the things that you really can't miss, even if you're not looking for it, you can't miss it, is right in the heart of Manhattan, right on Fifth Avenue, there's this uh, statue of Atlas, the, the Greek god who's carrying the, the world on his shoulders, right? You've probably seen that before, even if you've never been to New York. And it's, a, it's a big statue. It's impressive. And, and you can really see Atlas just straining under the weight of carrying the world. Uh, uh, and what most people miss in New York, though, is what's right across the street from this. Right across the street is uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, this 150-year-old church right in the heart of Manhattan. And inside that church, there's another statue. There's a statue of Jesus, Jesus uh, just a, a boy, Jesus. And he's also carrying the world, just like Atlas, except he's not straining at all. He's kind of smiling, in fact. He's, he's got some joy and some peace, and it's really a beautiful contrast between two different ways that we can approach the world. We can, we can try to do it alone, straining and suffering, or we can 
surrender to Jesus and let him carry the burden for us, right? So this morning we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to see really what it means to live in this way, to, to, to find joy by surrendering ourselves to Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, we're going to start in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so the, the, the first part of this passage, these verses 1 through 4 that we just read, it's actually one long sentence. It's broken up in English and in multiple sentences, but in the original Greek, it's, it's one long sentence. And since it's one long sentence, that means that there's, there's one main verb, one main idea, you know, and, and then a bunch of stuff that modifies that verb, right? That's how sentences work. And, and so this one sentence has, has really a command, one big idea, one command, and uh, since this is a series called Choose Joy, I bet that you can guess what's the big idea of this sentence, right? If you think about it. If you said, make my joy complete, then you win a prize. That's, that's smart. You're good, you're, you're good uh, paying attention there. And, and that's the big idea of this, this sentence. This, it's, it comes in verse 2, but again, it's all one big sentence. And all the stuff that comes before kind of helps clarify this idea, and the stuff that comes after, the same kind of thing. So it's just... One long, pretty complex sentence, but it's really just a rich sentence full of all kinds of ideas and a lot of things to teach us. And and Paul starts off this this sentence, verse 1, saying, if you have, and then he goes on to list some some qualities, some things. So basically, it's it's an if-then kind of a sentence. If you have these things, then, then do this. Or maybe we should say, if you have these things, then make my joy complete. By doing this, right? That, that's the sentence. And, it, and uh, so it, it starts off with this if half of the sentence. And it's, um, it's not if as in like it may be true, it may not be true. It's really more like because you have these things, then make my joy complete. Or since these things are true about you, then make my joy complete by uh, doing the rest of the sentence. That's kind of the idea. And so I want us to look at the, the first half, the, this if half of the sentence, because I think there are some qualities here that we want to see more of at Trinity. We want to be growing in these kind of qualities. They're sort of marks of a healthy church, and we want to be, uh, understand these things and be able to keep growing in them. And so the sentence starts off, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and again, the idea of, of since this is true of you, all right, Paul is really uh, affirming these, these qualities in them and, and hoping to see them, them increase. And so he says, if you have any encouragement, uh, that's the first quality, encouragement. And, uh, and this word, encouragement, it's really a great word. The idea is just, just lifting each other's spirits. You know, I think about it like, uh, like imagine that you're running a marathon, right? And you train and you work hard and, and you, you are going to run this marathon. But you can't really run a marathon by yourself, right? You need some encouragement. And so, so the, the day of the race, 
race comes, you're ready to run this marathon, and all the rest of us, we get up early that day, and we position ourselves all along the, the race pathway. And so you're running and straining and sweating, and then for a little bit of a time, then one of us will come and, and run alongside you and encourage you. You know, Maybe we cheer you on for a little bit, give you some Gatorade, whatever, all those kinds of things. That's that's just us doing our part to encourage you. That's kind of the idea of this, this first quality. And that's the kind of relationships that we want to have here at Trinity, right? I mean, I can't run your race. You can't run my race. I can't do all the things that God wants you to do, but, but we can encourage each other. We can run alongside each other. We can, we can uh, cheer each other on. We can celebrate the things that God wants to do in our lives and, and celebrate victories that we have. And that's, that's what we do for each other. That's this first quality. I, yeah, I do it for you. You do it for me. We encourage one another. And notice he says we do it because we're all united in Christ. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's this first quality, this first mark of, of healthy church relationships. We, we run alongside each other as we, as we run our race, as we go through life together. We're, we're together and, and united by Christ. And the sentence goes on, goes on to say, if you have any comfort from his love, that's the second quality. And uh, again, the idea is, since this is true of you, uh, since you have comfort from his love. So again, Paul's affirming uh, these, these qualities in the church and, and, and qualities that are healthy. And he says, uh, uh, when we talk about comfort, it's really comfort in the sense of, of consolation. Uh, this gets to just the idea of how we respond to hard times as a church, as a faith family. We talked a lot about that last week, but the idea here is that, that all of us find consolation in God's love for us. And no matter what happens in our life. Uh, we can comfort each other, we can find comfort because God loves us. God loves us no matter what. And, and the love of God is really the basis for all of our relationships too. We find comfort in God's love for ourselves, for each other. And we find encouragement in Christ, we find comfort in God's love. And so, so those are these first couple of qualities that just mark healthy church relationships. And so so when we love each other through hard times, we're providing that kind of consolation and comfort. We do it because God has given that to us, right? Uh, you don't need me to tell you the most compassionate person is the person who's suffered a little bit. They've, they've been in, in hard times, so they already have some sympathy. You know, they're, they're able to offer you sympathy because they've experienced it themselves. Well, in the same kind of way... Uh, we love each other, not because we've never experienced it before, but because we've experienced the love of God, and we're able to pass it on to other people. First uh, John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us, right? So even if we don't have all that much in common with each other, we do have at least the love of God. At, at the very least, we have that in common, and we use that to show love to each other, to comfort each other, to console each other. That's what makes a family, a family. It makes us united because of God's love. So, so those are two qualities. And this, this mega sentence continues with a third if statement. There's four of them all together. And the third one says, you know, again, since you have fellowship with the Spirit. That's this, this third one. And, and uh, different translations are different here. The, the NIV says, says common sharing in the Spirit. Or the ESV, if you read that, it says 
participation in the Spirit. And the word that's in Greek behind that is just koinonia, this word that kind of keeps popping up for us here at Trinity. We've seen it quite a bit lately. It shows up six times just here in, in Philippians, and we've already seen it a couple of times in chapter 1. And it just means fellowship, means partnership, means participation. All these are nuances of this word fellowship. And notice here we're talking about fellowship in the Spirit, a little different layer to this idea of fellowship, this idea of participation. It's not just us partnering with each other, but partnering with the Holy Spirit, right? It's the kind of partnership that, that only the Holy Spirit can give us. Just like the way that we love each other, is, it comes from God's love for us. Well, in the same way, we were able to, to partner together, to fellowship together, because God's Spirit has partnered with us. He, he dwells in us. He's the one who's the, the source and the, and the driver, really, of our partnership, our participation. It's really a crucial quality for a healthy church, just responding to God's Spirit. And, and as a quality of a church, as a quality of really healthy faith family, it's a key idea, and it carries the idea of really all of us participating together in a way that God's Spirit guides us. Uh, so, you know, God's ultimately the head of the church, and His Spirit guides the church, and, and each of us gets joy, really, from, from partnering with Him in that. And this is, why, this is why the Bible doesn't really have a category for a person who, who comes to church but doesn't really partner with the church, isn't a part of the church. Uh, each of us has a place in our faith family. Each of us has a role to play. And, and even if the only role that you're able to play is just praying for your faith family, well, do that, you know? I mean, most of us can do that plus partner in some other ways, but even if that's the only thing that you're able to do, that's still a crucial piece because that's fellowship with the Spirit that's going to continue to guide our church. And um, uh, there's one more uh, part at the beginning of this sentence, this last clause in verse 1 says, since you have tenderness and compassion. Again, these are interesting word choices. You know, I imagine Paul, he's got a lot of time on his hands. He's sitting in prison writing this letter, and so he's got time to really choose his words carefully. He's not just firing this off, you know. He's rewriting it, revising it, whatever, whatever. So his word choices are, are, are pretty significant, I think. And these words here, they carry this idea of, of really tender inner feelings, feelings of real tenderness and, and compassion for each other. It's, it's a, words that basically mean like heartache, heartache. We're, we're, we're so invested in each other's lives that we feel really deeply uh, heartfelt emotions for each other, heartache for each other. It's not just, just casual relationships. It's, it's genuine concern, genuine tenderness and compassion, he says. And, and the other thing that's interesting is it's these deep feelings, but they're expressed outwardly. Uh, it, that's another nuance to these words. I mean, it's one thing to have feelings, but it's another thing to just to be able to express them in a tangible way. And that, that outward expression is really part of, I think, what Paul's getting at here. It's not just love. It's not just a feeling of love, but it's, it's heartache expressed in a tangible way. And those are the kinds of qualities that we want to mark our faith family, loving each other and then actually showing that love, you know, that's really important. So these four qualities, encouragement and comfort or consolation, fellowship, tenderness, all these are things that Paul really commends the church for. He says, since these things are true, 
Since these things are true. In this big long sentence, it goes on. It says, since these things are true, then make my joy complete. And then he goes on to list some ways that, that joy can be completed. We're not going to spend quite as much time on, on the second half of the sentence, verses 2 through 4, but we can kind of summarize that part and, and the, 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 summarize these ways that joy is completed. And the first one of these is, is in verse 2, uh, just being like-minded. A being of one mind is, is a more literal translation. And the idea here is, is not that everybody thinks alike. That's not, it. That's not it. The idea is that we all have opinions. We all have thoughts. We think carefully about things. So that's quite a bit different, right? We're all thinking carefully. We're all investing ourselves in what's happening here, not just, just showing up and letting other people do all the decision-making, right? So part of just having one mind, it means simply that we're all thoughtful about the life of our church, that's an interesting, uh, important concept. And there's a little more nuance to it than that. There's also the idea that, okay, if we're all thinking carefully about what's happening here, then we're going to come to some level of agreement, right? It's not uh, that we're all thinking carefully and then we all spin off in 200 different directions. Uh, the image is kind of like um, a bunch of people in the same political party, right? Uh, now, I'm not saying everybody here is of the same mindset politically. That would take some real miracles right there, but... Uh, but the idea of being like-minded or being of one mind, it, it means we're all engaged, we're all thinking carefully, and, and then we all generally agree with each other. Just like people who are all affiliated with a political party, you know, there's, there's room for debate, there's room for discussion, but there's kind of a common uh, set of agreed-upon ideas that sort of guide uh, how they work. And Well, that's the same kind of idea here. Uh, joy can be found in that kind of like-mindedness uh, when it comes to, to church, God's church. And uh, the first way we have joy, really, just being engaged with what God is doing here and, and doing it in a way that, that has some unity to it. Not identical, but, but unified. And so we each kind of surrender a bit of our thoughts, a bit of our ideas for the sake of the common good. That's kind of the idea. And the second way he says we can have complete joy, the, the back half of this sentence, he says having the same love, unity and love. Again, the, idea, the big idea here is unity. That's, that's, uh, that's the big idea. We all, we all give and receive love from each other. It's not you know, showing favoritism. It's not holding back love from some people, things like that. Just, just loving people well. That's the idea. And Paul brings some clarity to the idea by really describing what it's not. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, that's what it's not, or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the idea. The third way Paul mentions that joy is complete is, is being one in spirit and purpose. And again, the key idea is just unity. The whole, all, these, all these things, the idea is unity. And it doesn't mean that we're identical, cookie-cutter versions of each other, like some kind of church version of the, the Stepford Wives. It's not like that. No, there's room for uniqueness, room for individuality. And it's, it's a necessity, I would say. But covering over all that is a unity, a oneness that expressed in humility considering others more important than ourselves. And, and the best way to express that unity is exactly what Paul talks about next. He, he's got this big, long sentence. Since these great qualities are true of you, then make my joy complete by continuing in them, togetherness, unity in them. 
And that's the basic idea. And the way to do that is exactly what he talks about next. He tells us to look to Christ as a model. Verse 5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So summarize, basically summarize, joy comes from being like Christ, from each of us being more and more like Christ, considering others ahead of ourselves, practicing humility. All these qualities are really just us being more and more like Christ. That's the unexpected place where joy is found. Joy comes from Christ-likeness. And Paul uses this pre-existing hymn, this song that the church was already familiar with, in order to demonstrate what it means to be like Christ. There's, there's good evidence that this, this poetic portion, verses 6 through 11, it's not necessarily uh, Paul's writing, but instead Paul's quoting a, a song. It's kind of like if, if I quoted, uh, Be Thou My Vision, or, or uh, uh, Come Thou Fount, like we sang this morning. Unless you came in late, then you missed it. It was good. Uh, so Paul uses this, this hymn, this pre-existing song that starts in verse 6 to kind of explain what it means to be Christ-like. And it's really a beautiful piece of Scripture. I really encourage you to, to read it carefully this afternoon, meditate on it this week. I, I wish we had do- time to really dive into it extensively this morning, but that's really a whole other sermon. Nobody wants two sermons at once. And so uh, I'm just going to read it to us. I mean, we can't get this far in Philippians without at least reading it. So we're going to read it. And I want you to notice as we read it, I want you to notice uh, the same ideas in this big long sentence, verses 1 through 4, show up in this hymn. Uh, So listen for kind of those same kind of ideas. Uh, Verse 5, Paul starts off, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be, to be held on to. But he put the interests of others ahead of himself. He, he made himself nothing, it says, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there's that idea of humility, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's a beautiful uh, hymn, worthy of study, has some amazing things to say about Jesus' identity as, as both God and man, and, and I, like I said, worth meditating deeply on. But in this, in this letter, in this context, Paul uses it really to summarize what he's trying to say in this, in this big, long sentence, he says, Hey, since so many of these great qualities are true in you, make my joy complete by continuing in them, by being like Christ, using Christ as the model for how you live. He, he modeled these qualities in amazing ways, and so, so be like Christ. So, so joy comes from being like Christ. That's the big idea. This whole section can kind of be summarized by saying that joy comes from being like Christ. And now Paul used this, this hymn, this song that they would have been familiar with in the Philippian church. Maybe they sang it in their worship services. I don't know. But, but here at Trinity, we kind of have our own shared language, our own version of what it means to be like Christ, our own explanation, if you will. And if you've been to uh, our Engage class, which is our membership class, if you've been in a growth group 
or if you've just been around Trinity for a long time, then you, you're familiar with what we call the four lifelong practices, right? Uh, this is kind of how we measure ourselves against the life of Christ. We don't use this hymn necessarily. We use our own set of shared language, our own set of shared ideas. And, uh, and uh, so just like Paul is telling his church, uh, this church, Trinity, has great qualities. We want to continue to grow in these areas, these lifelong practices. And the four lifelong practices, they were developed here at Trinity a long time ago. Uh, and they're basically a summary of what it means to be a disciple, to be like Christ. I mean, if you look all through the Bible, you're going to find dozens and dozens of, of commands or descriptions of what it means to be a disciple, to be like Christ. And, and it's pretty overwhelming, right? I mean, think about all those different things, trying to keep all that straight in your mind. And, and so rather than try to weigh ourselves down with all of those things, we've, we've lumped them into these four categories, four uh, lifelong practices. They basically summarize all that the Bible says about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be like Christ. And, and we call them lifelong practices because you're, you're just supposed to grow in them over the course of your life. You never really arrive. You just keep growing. And, you know, you might not be all that strong in these practices today, but as you keep growing, eventually you'll get, you get stronger and stronger. And so, so the four lifelong practices, they're, they're pretty easy to remember, a lot easier than remembering all the different commands and descriptions uh, the, all throughout the, the scriptures. And, and uh, they're, they're uh, four lifelong practices, pursuing, renewing, living, giving. Easy to remember. Pursuing, renewing, living, and giving. And let's unpack those just uh, briefly. The first one, pursuing, what we mean is pursuing God through holy habits. Okay, what does that mean? A holy habit is something like prayer, uh, like reading your Bible, like other spiritual disciplines that, that help benefit us, help us grow, uh, things like fasting, solitude, all those kinds of things. They're habitual practices in our lives that make us more like Christ. Uh, Jesus certainly modeled these things in his life. He did all those things that I just mentioned at different times. And, and there's great value in us doing those kinds of things, not just doing them occasionally, but there's value in, in making habits of these things. So we don't just pray sometimes when we really need something or when we're in a crisis, but we pray habitually, right, as a way to communicate with God, as a way to develop our relationship with Him. You know, just like with your spouse, if you only talk to them when you need something, you're probably not going to be married for very long, right? It's the same kind of a thing. Prayer is meant to be habitual uh, as a way we build our relationship with God, uh, us talking to Him and, and really Him talking to us. So we're going to talk more about prayer in a couple of weeks, but, but for now, just, just realize it's, it's something valuable that falls under this category of pursuing God through holy habits. And another habit is uh, engaging your Bible, just reading your Bible. And there's a lot of different ways you can read the Bible. Frankly, you can't really go wrong if you're doing it on a consistent basis. Uh, you can't screw it up too much. And uh, just making a habit of that. There's all kinds of plans you can find online, or even if you've got a study Bible, there's probably a plan in there. Plans that are just easy to engage, or some that are really more extensive and challenging. Uh, I've read through the Bible in a year uh, several times. It's always fruitful. I'd encourage you to do that. Sometimes, you know, just a chapter a day, sometimes more. Uh, this year, I'm reading through the New Testament in a year. Since it's only February, I'm right on track. That's good. Uh, I challenge each of us to read through the book of Philippians habitually throughout this series. Uh, so, you know, you can't go wrong. However you choose to engage it, as long as you're doing it and doing it habitually. That's the idea of this practice. And, 
You know, we read the Bible not uh, as an obligation. It, it's not a duty. That's not it. We, we make a habit of it because it's the primary way that God speaks to us. God communicates to us uh, in a variety of ways, but primarily through the Scriptures, through the, through the Bible. And so if, if we want to grow in our relationship with God, if we want to pursue God, then we want to do it habitually engaging the means that He's chosen, His Word, uh, and, and these other spiritual disciplines as well, prayer, other spiritual disciplines, things like that. So, so pursuing God through holy habits, that's one of the four lifelong practices, these, these, this summary that the, here at Trinity we have of what it means to be like Christ. And the second one is just renewing your mind, renewing your mind. And this gets to the idea of uh, just aligning our thinking and aligning our priorities around the things that are important to God. As you're reading the Bible, as you're engaging God through prayer, your thoughts are being changed and to be, to be more aligned with the thoughts of God. Your habits start to really sink into your mind, right? And the practice also gets to the idea of just having right thinking or right doctrine about God, about yourself. You know, at the beginning of your Christian life, that might look like something just simple as, as just coming to understand and coming to embrace the gospel, really, really getting what Jesus has done for you, how his death pays the penalty for our sins, understanding that you don't have to live like, like Atlas, carrying all the weight on your shoulders. You can surrender it to Jesus and surrender that burden and find some joy, right? And since it's a lifelong practice, eventually you're going to understand things enough to be able to pass them on, maybe to your kids or maybe to other people. Maybe you become a teacher, you know, Sunday school, ABF teacher, those kinds of things. You start to grow enough in this area, you're equipping other people, and you're going to develop an eternal perspective so that the way you understand things that happen in your life is, is in line with God's perspective, Right? And these things, they don't happen overnight. It's a lifelong practice. As you continue to grow throughout your life, you're going to develop and, and, and grow practices that you'll develop over the course of your life. And so, so the third lifelong practice is, is living, living a transformed life. And this is where all the things in your mind, all the habits you're developing, they actually start to, to show up in your life. You, you're, your life changes because of all the things that God is teaching you and that you're doing on the inside they all start to show up on the outside, right? You start to recognize the gap between your life and the life of Christ, and then you start to do things that will help close that gap. And, and it starts with just accepting the gospel again, accepting by faith what Jesus has done for us, uh, applying that to your life. Uh, another step in this process is baptism. You know, we talked about the, the baptism uh, class coming up, a uh, step of obedience that just helps identify you as a follower of Jesus. Later on, as you grow, there's going to be other steps towards living a transformed life. You know, you're going to start to shape your marriage and your, your family around obedience to God and what that looks like. You're starting to trust God even in hard times. Your faith gets stronger and stronger as you grow. And you start to demonstrate uh, fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace, patience, all those kinds of things. Your, your life is transformed because you're increasingly surrendered to Jesus. So the fourth lifelong practice is just giving, giving away your time and your faith and your money. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, but it's just another way that we make our lives look like Christ's. Even in this passage, this, this hymn that Paul quotes, you can see all kinds of evidence of Jesus giving of himself. The passage says he, he emptied himself. In verse 7, he made himself nothing. 
Well, that's the standard of our giving, right? So we look to him as a model of, of our lives, a model of how we can give away our resources, becoming Christ-like in the way that we deal with the things that God has given us, trusting that God's going to provide all our needs and we can give away things freely, right? So these four lifelong practices, they're just our way here at Trinity to understand what does it mean to be like Christ. And just like in this passage, this very long sentence that Paul writes, it ultimately points to being like Christ. Well, these lifelong practices are our way to find joy in being like Christ, shaping everything about how we think, how we live, how we prioritize, how we use our resources around Christ and around his example and his practice. And and ultimately, that's what it means to be a Jesus follower. Pursuing Christ is where joy is found, being like Christ. And as we kind of start to wrap things up this morning, I, I want us to look at just one more brief section in Philippians. We started, again, this big, long sentence. Since these things are true of you, keep growing in them. Make my joy complete, become even more like Christ, he says. That's kind of the summary of verses 1 through 11. But I want you to look at verse 12. Verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So the therefore at the beginning of this verse tells us Paul's making an application of the things he's just said. He's told us Christ-likeness is joy, and now he goes on to tell us how to get Christ-likeness. We look at the example of Christ, and, uh, and as he presented in the hymn, this, this beautiful reflection of who Christ is and what he's done. And the other thing we do is, is that what these verses right here tell us to do. We continue. We continue to work out our salvation. And now when the Bible talks about salvation, it's talking about a couple of different things. I mean, the word salvation can, can refer to a couple of slightly different things, and it's kind of important when you see that word, you want to make sure which thing you're talking about, because things can get confusing. And, you know, probably the most common meaning of the word salvation, the way we tend to think about it the most, is that it's, it's salvation in the sense of being saved from our sins. I mean, that's what Jesus has done for us. Like we said, he, when he died on the cross, he paid the punishment that our sins deserve. So we're we're saved from that punishment. We have salvation. And as a result, we can have a, a thriving relationship with God for all eternity. But in this passage, that's not the kind of salvation we're talking about. Uh, the passage tells us work out our salvation, but, but that kind of salvation doesn't need to be worked out. Jesus already did all the work. It's a gift to you and I. His, his death cost him a lot. It doesn't cost us anything. It's just a gift. And so so we don't need to do any work. We just need to recognize what Jesus has done and accept it by faith. And so, so this passage is talking about a different kind of salvation. It's, a, it's something different. The term for it, the theological term, is sanctification, right? Uh, that just means becoming like Jesus, basically. Becoming Christ-like. It's the process of being saved from all the, the habits, the wrong thinking, the things that keep us from being like Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about here. So when Paul says the way to be Christ-like is to work out your salvation, what he's really saying is to continue in this process of becoming like Christ. He commends the church for these great qualities. Since these things are true, keep it up. Keep working on these things, these these lifelong practices. They're important. They're necessary. They're what's going to make us more like Christ. And so wherever we are in this process, let's keep it up. Keep working out our growth becoming more and more like Christ. 
And there's something really fascinating right here in this passage, these last two verses we read. And the passage, it tells us to work out our salvation, for it's God who's at work in us. Well, how can both of those things be true? I mean, does it really make any sense? Are we, are we supposed to work, or is God supposed to work? Uh, which one is it, All right? Well, the answer is both. I mean, they're both in the Bible, so they're both right, right? Uh, we, we work out the process of becoming more and more like Christ, but God is at work guiding us in the process. So there's a bit of a, a tension here. And, and the tension is that, okay, if God's at work and I'm at work, then what exactly is the work that I'm supposed to do? What's the work that he's supposed to do? And I think I can summarize it for us very, very simply. I mean, we spent a lot of time this morning talking about summaries. We summarized this very long sentence. We kind of talked about how this hymn that Paul records is a summary of what it means to be like Christ. We said the four lifelong practices are really just a summary of what it means to be like Christ. But what if I told you I could just summarize everything that we've talked about this morning in really just one word? I mean, don't be disappointed because now like 30 minutes later I'm telling you that, but... Uh, but my goal is just to help you lock it into your mind, to help us lock in to practice these kinds of things, to help us really find joy in being like Christ. And I think all the things that we've talked about can really be summarized in just one word. Even this, this tension that we find right here, working out our salvation, but it's God who's at work in us. Well, what's the work we're supposed to do? And I'll all summarize in one word. And the word is just surrender. Surrender. That's the idea. This big, long sentence, all those qualities, the, uh, the example of Christ, us practicing our whole life to be more and more like Christ, it really all comes down to surrender. Surrendering is what Jesus did. He surrendered his own rights as equal with God in order to become a human. He, he surrendered his human life for our sake. That's what he models for us. He really models surrender. And us being like Christ, it means we surrender. We give up our time. We give up our faith. We give up our money. We surrender our priorities to follow God. We surrender our own wrong thinking in order to align ourselves with Him. The whole process of becoming like Christ is just a process of surrender. That's how we can have joy in it because we we give everything over to God. We don't have to live like Atlas, carrying all these pieces around with us. We just surrender it all to Christ and find joy in that. So as we pray, I want us to think about that, that idea. In your notes, I've, I've included a little space that just says application. How are you going to take what we've heard this morning and apply it to your own life? And I want us to just take a moment to think about this idea of surrender, uh, and I just, just think about one area of your life where God is kind of at work. Uh, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something you've held on to for a long time, and you need to surrender that. Um, maybe it's something really big. Maybe it's, it's just a couple of little things that are really keeping you from, from really being like Christ. So I just want us to bow our heads, and I'm going to give you a moment to just, just reflect on that. Just think about what God is, is talking to you about, and, and just... Just dialogue with God about what it means to surrender. Take a moment to do that.
God, we praise you that you were willing to send your son uh, for our sake, that he was willing to give up his status as equal with you in order to come and not just be with us, but to die for us, to surrender his very life for our sake. And as we look to his model, as we think about these lifelong practices, these four big categories of what it really means to follow Jesus, Lord, we want to be mindful of the things that you're calling us to, the specific things that you're pointing out in our lives. And we want to be surrendering to you in every way. And I pray that as we have uh, learned what it means to be like you, and as we've reflected about how to apply this, each of us, to our own lives, that you would give us what we need this week to, uh, to put that into practice, to, to, to actually do the things that you're calling us to, Lord. And I thank you for this faith family that is encouraging and tender and that, uh, that is uh, full of, of active participation with you, with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would help us to continue in those qualities. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.